The Ziggler Show. Timeless inspiration from Zig Ziggler that's influenced over 250 million people worldwide. Inspiring true performance in your work and life today. Welcome to episode 314 of The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, brand ambassador and marketing strategist for Ziggler. Today's show is titled, Positive Thinking Won't Let You Do Anything. You heard that right, and it's directly from Zig, and you'll hear it in the 11-minute clip we'll play in just a moment. For those of you wary of the positive thinking movement, this will give you a new perspective, I think. I've got to give thanks uh, before we start here to all who are listening to this show, giving us five-star ratings and reviews in iTunes, sharing the podcast with others. Last week, we sat at number seven in iTunes' top business podcast almost all week, often ahead of the likes of Pat Flynn, Michael Hyatt, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and uh, even knocking on the door of our buddy Dave Ramsey, who's usually at number three to five, if not number one. It's just an honor to be in that place and so encouraged to see the hunger people have for the Ziegler message of inspiring true performance. I see right this moment at the time of this recording, we're sitting at 14. So thank you all so much. Well, with me right now is Ziegler CEO and proud son, Tom Ziegler. And before we get into this clip from Zig, Tom, you worked with your dad for many years. Uh, positive thinking gained you both much, of course, when was a time that even the best positive thinking didn't overcome a bad idea? Well, Kevin, I was I was thinking about that, and, and uh, I tell you, years ago, uh, this was in the '90s, we decided that an awesome idea would be to hold a big auditorium seminar series called the Symphony of Success, and we actually even rented out the Myerson Symphony Hall. In Dallas, and it was when it was first built. It was premier. It still is the greatest acoustics around. You know, I think it had about fourteen hundred seats. And we thought what we would do is we would fill up those seats for a six-session program. So we would do uh, a full day event on one day, and then maybe two weeks later we would come back and do another full day. And the idea is people could get everything we had, and they could attend it over about a two-month period. And, man, we were fired up. The team was excited. Dad was excited. I was excited. And we went out to start marketing it. And the more we marketed it, the more we realized that this was a hard thing to sell because we're asking people to give up six days of their life to come to this over a two-month period. And the objections kept getting bigger and bigger. And so what did we do? We just battled that with the positive attitude. And the more the positive attitude came – the less the results came. It was a tough battle. So even though we went into it thinking right and we proceeded through it thinking right, what we had done is we had created a really tough situation to overcome. Okay, great foreshadowing for what we're going to get into in this clip. So with, uh, without further ado, here's an 11-minute clip from Zig where he explains why positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will do this. Here you go. How many admit you're old enough to remember when computers first came out? Okay. Now, when they first came out, you know the language, ego, garbage in, garbage out. Well, I think all of us at one time or another might have heard that. Well, we have another one that's true. It's absolutely true. You know, the Bible says, as you sow, so also shall you reap. We say you put the good stuff in to get the good stuff out. 
Now that shouldn't be very difficult to understand because we're affected in attitude by so many different things. When you got the right attitude, you will respond to life instead of reacting. Now what do I mean by that? If you ever go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription and says, see me tomorrow, you walk in the next day and she shakes her head and says, uh-oh, your body is reacting to the medicine. We've got to change the prescription. You get nervous. But if she says, you know, hey, the prescription is working, your body is responding to treatment. Respond is positive. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been driving down the highway or down the, on your way to work, minding your business, you're neither positive nor negative, you're just kind of in neutral, and all of a sudden some idiot, uh, you know, to be kind to him, pulls in front of you, you hit your brakes, you hit your horn, and you give him a big old fish in the and say, why don't you watch where you're going, you dummy? You could have hit me, we could have both been killed, but I got your tag number, and the next time I see you out here, it's going to be me and you. Okay. <laughs> You get to the office and what do you do? You tell the first person you see about that idiot on these streets out there must have been on drugs or drugs. I'm telling you, I can't believe the way people are doing that. You tell the second person you talk to about these crazy folks around you and the third person and the fourth person. And in the meantime, the dude that did the dastardly deed rides merrily along. Doesn't have a clue that you even exist. And yet he's in complete control of you, your attitude. Affecting the way you do your job, affecting the way you affect other people, building a ceiling over you that is a low ceiling, far lower than you're capable of reaching, simply because you reacted instead of responded. Another question. Have you ever been uh, running a little bit late for an important appointment? And you're going along real good, and all of a sudden there's a huge traffic jam in front of you at the worst possible time. How many of you have ever, ever done that? Okay. How many of you will confess that uh, when you saw that, you slapped the steering wheel and you stomped your foot, you know, and shook your fist? Why don't they do something around here about that? How long is this traffic jam? Go? I mean, have you, any, any of you ever done that? Can I see your hand? <laughs> well, this is probably going to surprise you, but that's exactly what I recommend. Because I'm certain you discovered that the louder you blew the horn, the people in front of you just opened the lane (laughs) so you could go on through. (laughs) Now, folks, if there's a better way, you'd want to know what it was, wouldn't you? Answers yes. Remember, I, I, I help you on the tough ones, okay? Well, this is where Automobile University comes in. What you want to do is try to guesstimate the length of the delay. Boy, it's going to keep us here 30 minutes. Now, let me see. In 30 minutes' time, I can build my vocabulary with at least 10 new words. I can learn two new sales closes. I can uh, study this investment strategy. Did you know that you can learn everything from Chinese art to the Bible while you're seated in automobile University. I was a visiting scholar for the University of Southern California for two years, and here's what they discovered. In three years' time, if you live in a metropolitan area and drive 12,000 miles a year, and if you don't live in a metropolitan area, you probably drive a whole lot further than that. But in three years' time, you can acquire the equivalent of two years of college in your automobile. Automobile University is truly a magnificent place to get the education you might have missed a little earlier in your life. Stephen Joe Payne bought the idea in Automobile University. Now, he got his GED when he was 22 years old. 
Then he heard about Automobile University 10 years ago, and he went back to school. Since then, he's become a translator for his company in Spanish and French. He also speaks Italian, Japanese, German, Russian, Portuguese, Norwegian, and he's learning Cherokee and starting Polish. And 98% of all of it has been learned in Automobile University. Folks, you see, we have no excuse whatever for not continuing our education. See, you can finish school and you can make it easy. That's not true of education. You never finish it, and it's seldom easy. But Automobile University comes as close to being easy as anything I have ever seen. You can arrive at your work better prepared, or you can arrive at your job worse prepared because of the attitude you have. Now, when you prepare properly and listen properly, develop the plan of action the day before vacation approach as you did uh, on that day. If we can do it that day, why can't we do it every day? I'm talking about working smarter, not working harder. Now, the attitude itself is important. But I got to confess, I get a little perturbed with some of these folks who say, man, with positive thinking, you can just do anything. Folks, that simply is not true. I'm a positive thinker. Uh, And, you know, I really am. I mean, anybody would tell you that if they know me at all. But with all of my positive, optimistic, uplook, uh, beat on life, if you needed major surgery, I wouldn't recommend me. Oh, I'd do the best I could. I really would. I'd be enthusiastic, motivated, positive. I'd give it my best shot, but you'd still die. Positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. Positive thinking will let you use the ability, the training, the experience, the knowledge you have, and that is awesome. How many of you recognize the name Shaquille O'Neal, the Shaq? Can I see your hand? Makes two and a half billion dollars a year playing basketball and, and other things. He does make an obscene amount of money. He's seven feet, two or three inches tall, weighs 312 or 13 or 14 pounds. He's motivated, he's excited, he's enthusiastic. He's a great basketball player. But I'm here to tell you, with all of that positive thinking he's got, he'd be a total and complete failure as a jockey. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he'd have to carry the horse across the line, wouldn't he? No. Absolutely, you cannot. You cannot do anything with positive thinking, but you can do everything better than you can with negative thinking. Well, how does it work? Well, you know, we got a lot of bright lights right here right now, but when we came in here earlier today, it was pitch dark in here. The the way they light this is absolutely, to me, incredible. You know how they light this studio? They just throw flip switches. That's all they do is flip switches, flip flip switches. And and lights come on. Now, why does it come on? It comes on because the electricity has already been generated and stored. Flipping the switch releases the electricity, and the lights come on. The youngster who thinks with positive thinking, he or she can walk in a test and ace it, but they haven't gotten the information, they haven't studied it, they're going to be in for a rude awakening. Now, if they have prepared, when they walk in for the test, the positive thinking releases the knowledge, 
and as a result, they do better than they would have done if they'd walked in. Oh, I never do well on these tests. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's not fair the way these teachers do these things, all right? Now, as we say, your positive thinking will let you do certain things, but you've got to have some skills to go with it. Uh, I recently went uh, to my dentist. Now, I hope he finished way up in his class. But I hope he went to dental school. As a matter of fact, not only did he go to school, but he excelled in it. Now, in addition, he's got a good positive attitude. But to go with the attitude, he's got the skill. Now, you put them together. That's when you really get the job done. Several years ago, I had the privilege of speaking to Notre Dame University before one of their big games. Lou Holtz has been a friend of mine for a number of years. And as the redhead and I sat there, we noticed that in addition to the three assistant coaches with us, there were three student managers. And one of the assistant coaches would every few minutes uh, say something like, you know, I need to know about such and such. And he'd point at one of the uh, student managers and that kid would get up in a dead run. A couple of minutes later, one of the other assistant coaches would say, you know, I need to know what's happening over here. And one of the young ladies would hop up and go in a dead run. Lou Holtz told me, that over the years, he's noticed something very interesting. He said when uh, they start as student managers, they have about 250 start in the freshman class. By the time they finish, only 50 of them have toughed it out for four years. But he said, I always, when I meet somebody on the road and a young man or a young woman comes up to me and said, you know, I was a student manager at Notre Dame for four years He said, I only ask him one question. What is the name of the company you are running today? And he says, virtually every one of them will identify the company. Now, those that don't always say, well, actually, I don't run the company, but my department has 245 people in it. Now, why is that? One of the oldest principles about attitude, you see, the attitude tree has a lot of branches to it. And one of them is that these kids learn to be obedient. Okay, Tom, one of the first things that Zig said that stuck out to me in regards to the person that cut in front of someone else while they were driving is that they reacted instead of responded. And that seems so pithy and basic, but when I really thought about it, you know, it's profound. How often does something negative less than pleasant or even downright bad happen to me and I respond. Uh, For me, in relation to someone who's wronged me, it's admittedly usually anger. And uh, unlike, though, the person in Zig's story, I'm not prone to talking about it with others. I just sit and stew on it, and it festers and infects me. If I stayed present in the situation, not discounting my feelings, but instead of merely reacting, deciding to respond, bond, I was thinking of some viable responses. Obviously, I could think about having compassion for that person who was so rude. That must come from something you know, deep-seated, and they probably have a hard story. So I have some compassion on them. Or asking, what was at the root of my anger, which in, this, in my own life would probably be because I didn't manage my time well. I was probably running behind and in a hurry. That's my fault. And so I have less margin to deal with the realities of life. But next time, I also thought, you know, why don't I take captive what just the flat out cost is to myself when I merely react and stew on that? So what are your thoughts on that perspective? A couple of thoughts. I think the first thing that we don't do is we don't anticipate in advance that things are likely to go wrong. You know, dad talks about often in his in his speeches about how. He would be delayed on an airplane. You know, the, the flight was canceled or, 
or there's a mechanical delay or something. But, you know, he had pre-planned his response even before he got there because he knew that was a likelihood. Maybe we're going to a big event and we leave last minute and we get caught in the traffic jam and then we let the traffic jam frustrate us. I never saw dad get that way because he had pre-planned things that he could do. He had a CD he could listen to in the car. He had calls that he could make. He enjoyed the company that he was with. And so I think the first mistake that we make is we let ourselves be surprised when things don't go as they should. When the reality is we should have a plan already in place for when somebody cuts us off or somebody's rude to us. And then when we have that plan in place, then we see the difference in the outcome. Because if we have a negative reaction to whatever it is, we ruin the mood. We might not enjoy the concert or the event that we were going to. We may stew in that airport waiting for four hours when guess what? We were going to wait for four hours anyway. There's nothing we could do about it. Dad always knew that every minute we have is valuable. It's the last time we'll ever have that minute. So the reality is, is why cloud that time we have with an attitude that's completely our choice? And so what I would like for people who are listening to do is just think about the little things that bug us in life. You know, is it a rude person and so on? Why don't we adopt this attitude in advance? Number one, I'm going to be grateful that I've got this challenge in the first place because going to a concert or being delayed for a flight means I'm capable of doing those two things. Some people aren't. Number two, what can I be using that time for instead of negative? What can I be using that time for to be positive? Hey, maybe the person who was rude to me is going through a very difficult time. And once again, I can be grateful that I can reach out and help if I want to or that I'm not in a situation that's dragging me down like they are. I mean, there's so many things to do, but I think number one is what can we do in advance to plan when these things go not the way we want? And number two, what are the core attitudes that we want to embrace that we want to filter out? The attitude of gratitude, peace, joy, happiness, love, encouragement, hope, those kind of things. Okay. Well, as, as is probably obvious, we give a couple bullet points to these these shows here that we follow along, but this is not prescripted. This is Tom and I talking. I don't know what he's going to say. And so uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give us a quick left turn, Tom. I want to get your take on this. Cause when you talked about that, the first thing you came out with for my question was things are likely to go wrong. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And, and if we can get a little faithful here, a little spiritual here for a moment, that's been huge in my life as I look at those things that I feel are uh, that I'm called to. This is a vision I've been given, and I go after it, and then pretty quickly something goes wrong. And what's the first inclination to think? Oh, I heard wrong. That wasn't God. That, that must have just been a bad burrito, uh, and you know it's all on me. As opposed to stepping back going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't we have this book in the Bible where God called Moses out to take the people, and he let him go out, and what's the first thing to happen? The Red Sea. What's with that's illogical. I mean, and, and that's what I come back to. That's illogical. And of course, they went forward in, in the in the book of uh, Exodus and they, you know, ran out of food, ran out of water. And you're thinking, wait, God called us to this and you're going to let this happen. That is illogical. Well, we read the story and we can nod to it. But then to look at our own lives and go, if this is meant to be, this is a good decision. I'm doing what I should be doing. And then things go wrong. Where is where's where's our where's God in this? 
are we, uh, how are we supposed to react to this? And it, yeah, it brings me back to what you said. Things are likely to go wrong and they're going to, and even in the best of scenarios, the godliest of scenarios, they're going to go wrong. It makes me even feel more convicted, Tom, when I react in pure anger, uh, as opposed to stepping back, like you testify your dad did. Yeah, and I tell you what, sometimes what goes wrong ends up being the silver lining. It's the thing that makes a difference. I was just asked to endorse a book that a gentleman named Greg Knapp has written, and it's coming out soon. But in that book, he tells a story, and I want to share the story because I just I love this story. And it's this young man. I, he didn't say the age in the book, or at least I don't remember the age of the young man. But I'm, in my head, I'm thinking he was 17 or 18 years old. And in that book, it talks about this young man, how he had his left arm uh, mangled at that age, and it was amputated and taken from him. And as he was recovering, he physically recovered from the injury, but mentally and emotionally he was drained, and he needed some support and some help. So he went to his father, and he said, hey, can we go down to the judo studio? Maybe there's some training that I can get there. So at the judo studio – they went in, and there was this master Japanese guy. I mean, think of Miyagi on Karate Kid. Uh-huh. And the, the dad walks in, and he says to the, to the master, he says, can you train my son? And the master said, yes, I can, looking at him with his you know, missing arm and everything. So for the next year, this young man went in every day to train. And every day they worked on the very same throw. Every day, one year, same throw and pin. Same move, same throw, same pin. Now, the master, he would do different offenses against the young man, but it was always the same throw, same pin every single time. At the end of the year, the master said, you're ready. You're ready to go into a tournament. And the young man said, well, master, I only know one move. And the master said, that's okay. So they go to the tournament, and he's out there, and he's fighting. And in the first match, he wins it. He wins it actually quite easily. He couldn't believe it. He turned to the master with a big smile and said, wow, this is amazing. And the master just shook his head. The second match came. Now, this one took a little bit longer, but he also won that one. He goes to the master after the match, and he says, how did you know I would do so well? And the master just looked at him and said, because I know you're ready. The third match came, and this one was more difficult because as the, advance, as the matches advanced, the competition got tougher. And in this one, he finally did win. It took a little while, but he won. And then there was the next match, the final match, the championship match. He goes out there into this match, and he's fighting, and he's, he's overcoming, and it's pretty clear from the very beginning that he's overwhelmed and overmatched. Here was a 20-year experienced fighter in great physical shape, and he was being dominated. It was so bad, the referee actually pulled back, and he called timeout, and he said to the, to the master, come over, come over. And he told the master, he said, hey, I'm concerned for your student. He's fighting a much superior opponent with a lot of experience. I don't want him to be embarrassed or hurt. And the master looked at him and said, it's okay. He can still fight. So they go back in, and they're fighting again, and again he's being overwhelmed. But after about 30 seconds, the experienced fighter grew impatient and he got a little off balance. And the young man threw and pinned him and won the match. He won the championship. He couldn't believe it. He stands up. He runs to the master and he says, how did you know I would do so well? And the master looked at him and simply said, son, for the last year, 
you have nearly perfected the most difficult throw in judo. And there is only one defense for that throw. And that is the opponent needs to grab your left arm. Huh. That's... And you see, I think that's the point. I think we feel like in life that we've lost our left arm, whatever it is. Yet the master knows that your left arm is your only weakness. And so when we encounter difficulties and challenges, especially when it comes to our dreams and the things that we want to encounter and that we want to accomplish, when we encounter challenges in those dreams, we think of it as a setback. When I really believe most of the time, if we respond, it's simply the master saying, no, you need to get this right. You might need to head in a little bit different direction because your dream is worthy, but the path you're on needs to be perfected. And if you continue down the path you're on, they will be able to take you down and defeat you. Okay, well, that came out of nowhere, and that was it's, it's just we can't do anything better with the show past that point. <laughs> we got a couple other points I wanted to hit. Tom, that's powerful. Uh, that is powerful. I have a 19-year-old son, and I'm going to have him listen to this and listen to that because he is dealing with some uh, missing left arms in, in essence, and that is uh, thank you. Uh, for that, I, I, I get the best seat in the house for this. You guys get to listen to this stuff. I get to interact with Tom uh, in this, and I think I'm the best recipient of value from the Ziegler Show than anyone. Man, thank you for that. Okay, I'll, on that though, it is relevant to what I wanted to ask next. I mean, Zig mentions Automobile University in this clip, of course, and which at the core is making use of otherwise fairly idle time. And in regards to this, he said, "There's no excuse for not continuing our education. You finish school, but never." education. And the biggest excuse that I hear and I give for not pursuing professional or personal developments generally time. But in this media culture, we consume so much stuff voraciously instead of taking that time, securing that time, saving that time to learn for valuable things like the uh, like the guy in the story you just told. Uh, now, I'll admit, I, I adore, let's take the car. I, I adore music. It lifts me. It has value. And I often listen to it in the car. Sometimes there's no greater value than just nothing, silence, maybe some prayer. But there's so much time to learn in the car and elsewhere. So, Tom, the question I had for you is, do you feel our culture has somewhat abnegated our learning to just formal education, certifications, things like that, and fallen away from the personal pursuit on our own time, in our own proactiveness of education, the pursuit that so many of our world changers attest to. Absolutely. Uh, For whatever reason, people feel like education needs to be formal. It needs to be in a classroom. It needs to be mandatory. It needs to be, you know, something that everybody goes through. Yet, Dad, after he got out of school, that's when his education really began. He studied and read and listened to three hours every single day with materials that he thought would help him be, do, and have more that would allow him to train and inspire other people. Whatever field that you're in, whatever goals that you have in your life, true education comes from digesting the challenges of the day and then seeking out those answers that are going to help you face the same challenges tomorrow. You can't go home and just stew on the challenges, stew on the challenges, stew on the challenges without refilling that mental bucket of information. And once again, it's not just skills that you need. That's important and essential. But you also need that refreshment of 
the spirit, you know, the things that grow the heart and the soul, the things that make you understand the benefit to whoever you're serving, how their life is going to change when you bring that information to them. And so I would say, as dad did, you know, one of the most important things that you can teach uh, your kids or your team or your friends and share with them is that, hey, you need to be a lifelong learner. Because the good news is if you're not happy with the person you are right now, that's okay. The good news is you can change. You can learn something new. You can make a difference. Yeah, I think it's an epidemic right now that once people get out of school, they think they're done. When the reality is it's actually the opposite. The curve is moving so fast. Unless we're learning something new every day, we're not going to be able to keep up. Well, and hey, man, I can attest to that. Thank goodness to my parents. Um, That was, well, you know, that's why I'm sitting here. They raised me on Ziegler. That was one of my main educations along with some other other incredible folks like Carnegie and and uh, that realm of people. And interestingly, I was so busy with what I wanted to pursue by the time high school was over. I took off and uh, headed into the world. My dad told people when they asked if I had gone to college, he said, no, Kevin's too busy getting an education to go to college. And uh, and I didn't. <laughs> I did never step foot in there. Uh, but man, did I do a lot of educating. You know, it's interesting, though, something you said, Tom, about you know, looking at the challenges of the day, you know, and then, and then heading home and what, what do we stew on those? Do we try to overcome them? And my thought was, you know, I, I know a lot of folks, myself included, often what we do is go home at night after all that and we just try to escape. That's uh, a great, the great big screen helps us do that. And, and, you know, again, there's time for that just to get a little bit of relief, but you'll appreciate this, Tom, you know, uh, John Eldridge, uh, best selling author of Wild at Heart. I was at an event with him not long ago, and he was talking about that, and he said he was talking to a group of guys. There's about 40 of us, and he said, "You know what, guys?" He says, I, I, "That's what we generally do. We seek relief." And there again, that's great. Kick the shoes off, you know. Grab some chips, watch a game, whatever. Grab some relief. But you know, you ever had that day on a Saturday where you're just worn out? You flip the game on, and after three hours and a few bags of chips and and a, a beverage or, or whatever, and you sit back. Do you stand up then and go, "Man, I feel great." Not, not usually that's it's relief. It it doesn't give what, and this is what you talked about a second ago, Tom, it doesn't give renewal. What gives you renewal? That's something we have to proactively go out and seek and feed ourselves with. When do we do that? And it's stuck with me because it's so easy to be in relief mode, but never to go after renewal. And that's what I hear you attesting to. You saw your dad every day. He took a time or learning and, and, in a sense, renewal, filling himself up so that he could go out, deal with life, and pour out to people as he so incredibly did. Well, hey, so on the topic here, positive thinking won't let you do anything. As you heard in the clip, Zig said, yeah, it won't let you do anything. It doesn't mean you're, you're, uh, you're impervious to, to the world, but it will help you do everything better than you can with negative thinking. I love that perspective. So it reminded me of a guy. It was actually a motivational speaker, Tom, and I, for the life of me, cannot come up with his name. So if you recognize this story, maybe you'll remember it. But he said uh, uh, he was talking about going to a motivational seminar that just inspired him. And I'm sure the story's embellished, but it stuck with me. And he said it was, it was so inspiring, and the mantra was that they are Superman. You are Superman. You can do anything. So he got on the plane home. He didn't put his seatbelt on. And when the stewardess came up and asked him to buckle up, he responded, Hey, I don't need a seatbelt. I'm Superman. To which she replied, Well, Superman doesn't need an airplane either, so buckle up, fat boy. 
<laughs> I can still see the guy telling this, but I thought that's profound. That's profound. And it, it goes back to this, this thing. Positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it'll help you do everything better than you can with negative thinking. So, Tom, the point then is obviously positive thinking gives whatever endeavor you're pursuing the best chance of succeeding if it can. But what's the balance between being ignorantly optimistic and putting your best foot forward? Oh, I tell you what, there is, you know, there's nothing worse than a positive idiot. You know, <laughs> somebody who's just off the charts, <laughs> bouncing around, excited, but they don't know anything. Uh-huh. So when I see negative things happen, I look at it not as, you know, an attack on me or necessarily that it was a bad idea. It's, it's confirmation in my mind. I don't have enough information, hmm. right? I got to go figure out what it is I need to do in order to make this right. So sometimes people uh, – getting confused. They think it's negative to point out a problem. No, it's not. You know, we need to be solution oriented. And we until we recognize a problem, we can't find a solution. And so the deal is, is when we get a challenge, a negative situation, we need to step back, keep our positive attitude and say, okay, what can I do with that now? So going back to the beginning of the podcast, when I told you about that bad idea that we had, mm-hmm doing that symphony of success where we had six events over a two-month time frame, we were positive all the way through it. And even when we realized that we weren't going to make money on this, we dug even deeper and we said, you know what? What if we went in and got some other things to happen with this event? And I'll tell you, Kevin, then out of that event, because we switched our focus, the original idea was bad, but there were some things that came out of it that were really, really good. Number one is some of our largest clients over the next 10 years came out of the relationships that we built because we, we tried so hard selling this thing, and they came to more than one event. They didn't come to all six, but they came to two or three of them. So we were able to gain a lot of back-end business. And number two, that clip that we just listened to from Dad, mm-hmm. that's in the How to Stay Motivated series. We actually recorded every one of those events and how to stay motivated is the most prolific and successful program we've ever had as far as an audio recording to sell and is recorded at that event. And this podcast is basically centered on that recording that we did at that event, and that event was actually a bad idea. And you see, if we'd given up with it, if we'd let negative thinking come in there, we would have said, oh, we're just going to write this off. This is all we can do. But instead, we said, you know what? It was a bad idea to do this. Now what do we do? And that's the difference between going down a dead-end alley with positive thinking versus recognizing the information and saying, okay, we need to make new decisions now. We need to keep our attitude right, but we got to make new decisions. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, so the last point here, Zig's analogy of flipping the switch releases the stored-up energy. And again, positive thinking with no preparation won't pass the test, but positive thinking releases the best of preparation. So this reminds me of, you know, my favorite definition of luck, which I found out uh, last night was attributed to the Roman philosopher Seneca. Uh, Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So Zig cites that you need skill and attitude, uh, which is why, you know, top athletes and performers are the main consumers of, you know, psychological training. So Tom, why do they employ this, but most people don't know anyone else who has made that type of an investment in their personal development? 
Well, you know, Kevin, one of the things that I speak on often when I go out and speak is I call it the performance formula, the Ziegler performance formula, which is this formula of attitude times effort times skill. And it's interesting to me that the world, the culture kind of accepts a halfway approach to attitude and skill. You know, hey, as long as your attitude's mostly positive most of the time and your skill is on par with everybody else, I mean, what more to expect? But yet, when you look at the top 5% in every industry, especially when you get into competition industries like athletics, you will find that their attitude is always off the charts in a positive way. It may not be outgoing and overflowing and vivacious, but it's confident, it's determined. There's perseverance in there. They've known through the training that it hurts to train, that they sweat and they get bruised, and sometimes they break things as they prepare. But they know that if they just keep that attitude going, they'll keep going. And then skill, they're always a professional, always refining it to the next level. And so for some reason, the culture has bought into this, I would rather take a pill and be okay than to go the extra mile and receive overwhelming abundance and joy. Because even when athletes don't win the race, they look back and in their soul they know, I gave it 100%. And I don't think there's any greater satisfaction in a day's work than saying, I gave it 100% today. Now, you do that every day, you're going to win. You may not win on a particular day, but over time, you're going to win. Why that is the case, I don't know. I think it's because it's easy. And it's easy to have the right attitude, and it's easy to have the wrong attitude. But anything that's easy to do is easy not to do. Well, so on your statement of giving 100%, Tom, the next, for those who want to give 100% towards themselves, their personal success, helping others succeed and be significant, uh, Tom, the next Ziegler Legacy Certification is this coming July, 2015. And, uh, folks, if you want to find out about that, go to Ziegler.com. Click on the uh, upcoming events. You'll find a link for the certification. It'll give you some information on that. It's a five-day course at Ziegler headquarters where Tom is sitting right now where we can hear in the background. They've been doing some construction apparently. And uh, you can go yes, to, <laughs> our neighbors. Yeah. Go down there and visit, uh, spend a week with the Ziegler family getting trained in the Ziegler message, the methodologies, the resources, it is life changing. I wish I could share every story that I hear that happens down there. We are going to, I am going to make an effort to get some of these folks on the show here so they can tell their story. But Tom, I want to get you to wrap us up by giving a quick story of someone, whether you want to name them by name or not, who came to the Ziegler legacy certification. It could have even been this last one in March and whose life paradigm and success changed as a result. Absolutely. And I'm, the name I'm going to mention is uh, Chris Patterson. He came to our last event in March, and he's got a great story. In the 90s, the late 90s, he was flown in as a young man, and he was moved to Dallas by an athletic club called The Q. And The Q had a location in Plano, and he was brought in to take over that store, you know, a big place like a 24-hour fitness or a lifetime fitness, you know, huge athletic facilities, kind of high-end, nice neighborhood. And he was a Zig Ziglar guy from back then. I mean, 26 years old, 25, I think that was his age at the time. He was schooled on dad's secrets of closing the sale. He 
the reason he was moved in to run this place and help turn him around is because of his sales ability. Well, after he'd been there a little while, one day one of his people came to him and they said, hey, Chris, you need to take this guy around. And he looks at the driver's license because they used to take when you'd walk in, they'd take your driver's license. And Chris looks at his guy and he says, you're kidding me. He's here. And the guy said, yeah, well, the driver's license was my dad. And so Chris goes out there, and now he's standing in front of his hero, the guy that had helped him be successful in sales, and he's giving him the tour of the place. And he's trying not to act like he's a fan. You know, he's trying to act very cool like he's a pro and athletics and working out and training and getting in shape. Well, a long story comes to short. Dad ends up signing up. Dad says, hey, do you know who I am? And, of course, Chris comes clean because he was using some of the sales techniques on Dad and uh, not using him on him, but just using some Ziegler lines and things like that. And so Dad asked him, he said, hey, I have another question. Do you have anybody here who could personally train me? And Chris said, well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Ziegler, if you will allow this, allow me to train you in return for you being my mental trainer, I would love to help you. So they started doing that. And Chris said, he told this story at graduation. He said, the first time I worked Zig out, we're doing the preacher curl, the, you know, when you do curls with your arms. And he said, I put the weights on there, and it wasn't too much, but it wasn't insignificant. And I said, Mr. Ziegler, how many of these can you do? You know, go for seven or eight. And he said, Zig started going. It was seven, eight, nine. And then he started going real slow, 10, 11, and slower, 13, 14. And he said, Mr. Ziegler's veins were popping out in his neck, and he was red in the face, and he was straining. And he's like, oh, no, I could see the article in the paper. You know, trainer kills Zig Ziegler at the gym on his first workout. And I said, Zig, Zig, you don't have to work so hard. And he said, Zig lowered the weights down real slowly and looked at me, and he said, Chris, you don't have to like everything you do. You see, here's the picture. Dad knew that in order for him to reach all the people he wanted to reach, he needed to be in top physical shape. Did he work out because he had a love of working out? No. Did he work out because he had a love of living the dream and changing lives? Yes. That story stuck with Chris. Chris left that. Dad actually asked him, Chris, what's your goal? And he said, my goal is to get married. And he says, well, who are you dating? And Chris said, nobody. I'm working all the time. And he said, where's your family? And he said, they're back in Florida. He said, Chris, what are you doing here? So Chris goes back home. He gets around his family. He meets his bride. Now he's got a very successful business. So one of his dreams was, I want to share what I learned with Zig with the rest of the world. And so that's why he came through certification. So his paradigm had always been, I want to help people, but I don't know how. And now he's equipped because when you come through Ziggler Legacy Certification, what we do is equip you to take our programs back and train. I got a text from him yesterday. He has a training engagement where he's teaching the front office staff of the Jacksonville Jaguars Ziggler material. Wow. That's cool. That that is cool. So folks, you heard that, you heard the personal testimony, but yeah, having the training, the equipping, the tools, the resources, the Ziegler name and support 
uh, with you if you want to influence people for the better. Uh, I don't know of a more powerful program. So go to Ziggler.com, click on the events, and you'll find the Ziggler Legacy Certification at Ziggler Headquarters in Plano, Texas, this July 2015. I think there's some spaces still open in that, and you can inquire about it right there. Tom, uh, as always, man, I feel like I benefited the most from this. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Always an honor. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with you in the next show. Thanks for tuning in to The Ziggler Show. Sign up for new show alerts at ZieglerShow.com. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. 